Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Uh, Paul, great to be able to um, catch up with you and, and get your thoughts. There's um, definitely a lot going on in the market over the past couple of days and, and certainly, you know, a number of overriding potentially issues. Uh, but, you know, we saw a, a sell-off in the market yesterday on the back of concerns out of China and a big property developer there. Why don't we start with that and just get your thoughts in terms of, you know, if is there systemic risk? Do you think that China would be the backstop? Um, what, what's your take? What are you hearing? Yeah, you know, everybody's been talking that this is China's uh, Lehman moment, and this is going to be the beginning of the end. But I think there's been it's been in the news now for the last year. They've had issues meeting their uh, interest obligations. There's been some discussion about uh, the government backstopping them. The markets are closed over there, I think, until tomorrow. So we should get some more information on that tomorrow. But that being said, I think it's it's part and parcel of what China is trying to do with reorganizing reorganizing their overall economy, and they may allow some of this to uh, fall apart. And I'm not sure yet. And I don't think anybody quite is as to how far those tentacles go out uh, beyond China and how much U.S. banks are involved, uh, U.S. investors, etc. Whereas Lehman, I think you were looking at something that had tentacles all over the globe. Um, and was very ingrained in a, in a lot of different areas in, in the economies. So I think the, the big overriding concern is this is going to provide uh, China with some very slow growth going forward. And the implication is, as China goes, uh, so goes the global economy. And so the global economy will probably be slowing down as a result of this, because China won't be growing at 6 7% anymore, probably closer to 2%, 3%. And I think that's really more the, the focus of the financial markets is we're now looking at much slower growth than we anticipated, especially coming out of the pandemic. So just to be really clear in terms of the linkage that you're suggesting between the China property developer um, and slower growth, you are kind of making the link that maybe China cracks down a little bit more on some of these property developers and or lets them falter and that that will impact global growth? Or do you just think that China is slowing down on its own? No, China is definitely slowing down on its own. And, and it's, it's part in, of what they've done with the educational uh, companies. They're now looking at some of the develop companies, the developing uh, development companies, um, and that's where there's been a huge amount of growth in China is they've been building like crazy, uh, residential, commercial, et cetera. And you're seeing it play out a little bit in some of the commodities. You're seeing it in iron ore. You're not seeing it as much in copper, but you're seeing it in steel. You're seeing it in some of the other areas where China's been a huge buyer. They've backed away from that over the last three, four months or so. And so that's been an indication to us that China is looking to put the brakes on their economy a little bit and how much and we haven't got any really clear indication from uh, Xi Jinping. And, um, you know, I should have asked you this before, so, you know, we started, but feel, feel free, you know, to 
you know, say you haven't looked into this because, you know, I, I think it's curious, you know, sitting here in North America, um, trying to understand what is going on with this property developer and the fact that they're not just a property developer, but they had financial instruments and guarantees at a certain, you know, rate of return for investors that they're now concerned that they won't get their money back. Could, have you looked into any of this in terms of what some of the ripple effects are? I'm just kind of it's just kind of curious, really. Yeah, we, we've actually stayed away from China when uh, the U.S. has uh, decided not to allow uh, Chinese listings or there was the discussion about no longer having listings in the U.S. So at that point, we decided we're not going to be messing around with China at all. I'm sure we have exposure. I know we have exposure in some of the mutual funds that we own. It's hard to... Uh, avoid China when you're talking emerging markets. So we do have some exposure there, but it's fairly minimal. Um, whereas we've tried to vet those funds uh, to, to keep our China exposure fairly low. Okay, but your, your bottom line takeaway in terms of what you're seeing over there right now is that we will see perhaps lower, slower global growth. Yes, yes, that, and, and, and that's been the driver going uh, historically. It's been the US, but it has also been very much China and so as both of those countries go, the global economy will follow. Okay. And, and so I know, you know, you're also focused on the U.S. 10-year yield curve or the, the yield mm -hmm. curve, <laughs> U.S. 10-year. And what, what are you seeing right there? And, you know, obviously for our viewers to understand, um, you know, the yield curve is reflective of many or a number of different drivers, um, including China and the global growth outlook and inflation and the Fed. So dovetail maybe what we talked about with China in, into the yield curve. Yeah, you know, the yield curve for us has been a great indicator of pending recession, pending financial problems. We saw the yield curve flatten fairly dramatically in 97, 98, ahead of the 2000 market uh, technology bubble. We saw it in 2006 and seven. Uh, we saw it actually even briefly in, in 2019, not that we knew a pandemic was coming, but the yield curve was an indicator that there were some financial stresses. So we've, we look at that yield curve as an indication of where do we see real stresses coming in. And what's been interesting to us is the difference between that two and 10 year yield has been hanging around one to 1.15 percentage points um, for the better part of the last three months or so. Um, so it's been in a fairly tight range. So when we talk about well, what's happening with inflation, if inflation were rising, we would expect the 10-year yield to rise, and we would expect the yield curve to expand even further. And that helps a lot of the commodity companies. It helps the bottom line for many uh, U.S. companies as well. But if the reaction to that then is the Fed raising rates, that will flatten the yield curve, and that then pushes the U.S. economy eventually into a recession. It's not anything that we say, okay, we're here today, the recession shows up next week. But the clock starts ticking, and we're not quite there yet. Like I said, it's 115 basis points steep-ish right now. If we get below 50 basis points uh, between the 2 and 10, then we start uh, keeping a very close eye on uh, a lot of the other indicators that we might be looking at. And the clock starts to, to go at that point that we start taking some money off the table on the equity side uh, when we see the yield curve flatten out like that. But, you know, we've had a lot of fits and starts and concerns for the past uh, year or two uh, as it relates to the yield curve flattening. 
And, you know, we don't really ever seem to get there and or for it to even hold um, because there are so many different drivers, you know, to your point, as it relates to, you know, the Fed perhaps raising the short end of the curve, um, you know, expectations for inflation, foreign exchange comes into play. It's a relative game on a global basis as well in terms mm -hmm. of what other central bankers are doing. So, you know, is that what you, we really still need to be looking at a flattening yield curve or are you going to be looking more at you know whether inflation is transitory or or not and you know if that's the case the yield curve potentially takes on a completely different shape it does and you know the the joke is you know what is transitory so your definition of transitory different than mine certainly different than jay powell's so we're not quite sure what that meaning is but what's interesting is when you do look at that 210, and I know that a lot of people were discounting it in 2018, 2019, because we actually did get to a very flat yield curve. We were less than 10 basis points difference between the two and the 10 year. And a year later, the markets were significantly lower. And we saw that yield curve then blow out again uh, as the Fed came in, provided liquidity, et cetera. Now we're on the other side of that. We're talking about tapering. We're talking about a potential of raising interest rates, normalizing rates. So I think in a lot of cases, um, all the topics that you talked about, uh, inflation, uh, the uh, dollar and currencies, all of that is embedded in that 210 spread. So when you look at the financial markets the way we always do, is that the uh, yield curve and fixed income it's kind of the PhD and the equity markets are the two-year-old. They're busy looking at whatever is shiny at the moment, but the bond market, I think, provides us a lot of information. Now, the second part of that was we'll overlay the difference between high yield spreads and the 10-year, and those spreads have come in fairly dramatically. So the investors right now are not looking for a lot of premium in high yield. That will eventually change. So we're looking for that high yield spread to widen as the 210 spread flattens. And both of those together really point to problems in the financial system. And we saw that again, late 2019, early 2020, well ahead of uh, what eventually wound up being a, a 30 plus percent decline in the equity markets. Hmm. And so with the FOMC meeting, the Fed meeting tomorrow, um, what are your expectations in terms of their communication? Um, I think that's kind of well televised in terms of they'll lay the groundwork for some type of pullback in the bond buying program. Um, but is that priced into the market? Do we get another taper tantrum? You know, how are you trying to navigate that situation? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. If you look back at the federal meeting, at the uh, FOMC meetings, and when they come out with their directive, we're leaving our interest rates unchanged. We're not going to do anything. And I think really they're going to take the boilerplate from the last meeting, roll it back out again. The market doesn't react too terribly much to that. I think that is certainly built in. What's not built in and what's always interesting is to watch the markets during the press conference and immediately following. And that's where you get a lot more color on what the Fed thinking is, certainly what Powell's thinking is, and the overall direction that they're likely to be taking. We saw it at the last meeting. We saw a huge move in the equity markets. We also saw a big move in the fixed income markets. I think we're going to be set up for something along those lines. There really has been no information yet on how much they're going to taper, what time frame are they talking about. 
And that, I think, is important from the perspective of they can't raise interest rates until they're done buying bonds. So if they're going to, they're doing 120 billion a month now, if they cut it to 100 and they, they do another 20 every couple months or so, now you're talking about a year from now before they even start talking about in, uh, raising interest rates. So I think it's a very long glide path before we start to see interest rates go up. The markets are going to have a very adverse reaction if it's much quicker than that. Right now, they're anticipating that's going to be a very gradual slight glide path, mainly because the Fed does not want to upset the financial markets. And that's been very evident uh, with the last two, now three, uh, Fed chairmen, is they are very cognizant of what their message is and how it gets uh, interpreted in the financial markets. And so the only factor that might change their ability to have a, uh, a nice glide path would be uh, if, in fact, you know, we really do get a, a, a significant and sustainable uptick in inflation. So where, where do you stand on, on, you know, the stickiness of some of those rising prices and supply chain shortages that are causing an increase in prices? Yeah, a lot of the people that we talk to indicate to us, at least, that the supply chain is a problem and it's not anything that's going to get rectified soon. So everything from plastic cups to uh, toys for Christmas, et cetera, big problems in getting them to the store shelves and having it supplied. So I, again, some of the companies are talking about actually onshoring and not having stuff uh, produced in Mexico, China, Japan, et cetera. But again, that's a two, three, four year process to build a plan, get everything set up and get production running. So our definition of transitory is probably two to four years before we start to see things normalize. And the supply chain is, is a mess. Just talking to people about employees, you're seeing a lot more employee movement now from one company to another as they kind of go from job to job based on what you're going to pay me and how you're going to pay me. So people have gone a little bit more free agent, if you will, and are not as sticky at a company. So if I have five or six people leaving my company because of a better offer, I'm now stuck and I'm trying to bring in those other people raising wages. So we have a cycle, I think, that's going to be probably, again, three to five years or so where we're going to have abnormally high inflation. Now, mm -hmm. if that's transitory, the Fed's not likely to react to that as much. And that's, I think, really what Powell is going to be addressing, I hope, uh, at the press conference uh, tomorrow. Wow. Well, three to five years, like that's... Uh... No, different definitions of transitory, that's probably what's going to be key and critical to understand because some people at higher prices can't hang on, you know, if it's three to five years. Can't no, that's it. true. And, and it's going to have an impact too on corporate bottom lines. Margin compression is something that we're probably going to start seeing from companies talking about earnings when they get released here in October and then again in January. We're hearing about a lot of companies, PPG, uh, among others, that are raising prices uh, and uh, food companies raising prices. So they're being very direct about, yes, we're raising prices. They're going up 3%, 5%. Um, and a lot of that they're being addressed as saying it's, it's wages, it's higher costs. So it, it's across the board as far as the cost structure for a lot of these companies so that may have an impact on, on earnings growth, certainly going forward. And, and so, Paul, just to be really clear, because, you know, sometimes when these aspects happen in life, you know, you might feel it, 
you know, personally, when you go to the grocery store, and sometimes the best way to hedge against that is to buy a food company. Uh, you know, buy the companies that are going to be able to increase prices to cover some of those costs and probably, you know, keep their margins uh, steady. Um, are there certain sectors that you're taking a more serious look at or overweighting, you know, ones that will have pricing power? Yeah, we do. We do like a lot of the producers. So certainly the food producers, we do like we do like a lot of the commodity companies in general, very broadly based uh, commodities. So everything from water to energy to metals um, we like as as input prices uh, have been going up as well. So, again, those are some of the areas that we're looking at. Technology, oddly enough, kind of fits into that category as well. They're not as uh dependent on price increases. Their revenue numbers tend to be fairly good at this point. They're able to maintain their margins. Um, their issue is more employee related than it is uh, input prices for goods or anything like that. So it's a little bit more service related. So those are some of the broad areas that we're looking at as I think parts of the economy that should continue to do well going forward. And when you think about the impact that COVID's had and the impact on, on the market, in terms of um, various sectors that have obviously benefited incredibly well uh, and ones that have not, and then deciding to move into reopening trades or whether or not that's going to work or the valuations are too high. Where, where do you stand in terms of COVID and, and where you want to be positioned? You know, it's kind of interesting as you look at the markets on a day-to-day -day basis, and it depends on the COVID numbers as to what parts of the markets do well. Um, so if we're worried about the increase in the Delta variant and that gets a lot of press, um, you'll see technology stocks do well relative to the S&P 500, relative to the Dow. Uh, when you're talking about relaxation of mask mandates or you know, whatever the case may be, we're allowed to fly now um, to different parts of the world. You'll see the Dow do better, the S&P a little less so, and technology is the laggard. So it almost happens on a daily basis. And when you look at that, and that's the part of technology, it has shifted over the last 10 years now to be not necessarily a commodity, but an essential item. You know, just doing this interview, we wouldn't have done it 20 years ago. We've been in front of a camera and uh, in studio and those types of things. All of this is because of technology and it's something that is going much quicker. So for a lot of the companies, even like in a McDonald's, you're no longer going in, talking and placing an order. You might do it on your phone. You might go in and hit the kiosk. So you're not engaged with a, an employee. So they're able to do much of their business now with a lot less people. Um, so those are some of the ways that companies are addressing those margin pressures that we talk about. And it is not necessarily industry-wide. It's company by company and how they're dealing with, with their particular uh, customers. Mm-hmm. Um do you think, though, that, well, what does it feel like uh, in the States right now? I'm sitting in Canada. What does it feel like in terms of the reopening? It, it's sporadic. It's by state. So, you know, in, in Illinois, um, you need to be in a mask, going into a restaurant, going into a museum, et cetera. Um, other states, not an issue. Um, you do not need to wear masks. So uh, that, that part of it is, is just kind of strange. So you have to kind of know where you're going and what the local uh, rules are. Um, there's obviously a lot more discussion now about vaccine passports. You can't go into a restaurant unless you have a vaccination card. Um, there's some of that discussion that's getting tossed around. 
Um, I think we're a long way yet from trying to decide what is going to happen with that. Uh, but it is very much on a local level than it is uh, a national level. Mm-hmm. And, and what's the impact you're feeling or seeing on the economy? And I, I, I feel like it's so different state by state as well. It is. It is. And, and you see the impact, too, I think, um, just even in the locales where you say, well, we have to mask up to go to A, B or C. And whereas maybe a year ago, nine months ago, yep, absolutely, got the mask and, and we're going to do this. Now it's kind of like, yeah, well, I, I have it now below my nose and it's maybe on my chin. And yeah, and everybody kind of looks a little bit um, off to the side. Don't worry about it. So I think there's a certain amount of we're fed up. Um, I know we have to do this, but we're really not that interested. So that I think is going on as well. So there's there's a lot of things. Again, we've been involved in this now for a year, nine months, and yeah. people were told, you know, two weeks flatten the curve. Now we got to do this, and so the goalposts keep moving, and a lot of people have just said we're done. And so it where that has an impact is on the business side. How much can they get into a business? How much uh, capacity do they have in a museum? Uh, you know, we're seeing football stadiums now, certainly with the NFL going, stadiums are pretty full, uh, yeah. venues pretty full. Um, so it is getting back to normal, but I think we're a long way away from really what that normal is. We see it certainly in airline travel, business travel, uh, people getting back and going out to visit clients and customers and so on. That has been uh, still impacted and is a long way from getting back to normal. Yeah. Um, and so, Paul, just to kind of wrap it up here, what, what's your um, what, what's your advice almost to investors as, as you think about the next 12 months, how you see the, things playing out? Yeah, it, it's kind of nuanced. You know, we're, we're very concerned about high valuation levels. Uh, our long term three, five, seven year projection is a very flat uh, equity market. Um, and it may be dramatically so flat, uh, meaning that we get a big decline and a big rally back, but uh, essentially go nowhere. In the short run, I think because interest rates are where they're at, and I think we're not going to be tapering all that quickly, monetary policy is extraordinarily easy. Uh, financial stresses are very, very low. The equity markets can continue to rise. Uh, thank you to Tina, there is no alternative. And I think that continues to play out. So we are still seeing, even after the, the recent decline in the markets, some buy-the-dip buyers coming in. So in the short run, I would say over the next few months, six months or so, we think the equity markets continue to trade reasonably well. We get out much beyond that. We're going to be watching more corporate earnings, margins, inflation, and the Fed. And I think we're going to have a better sense over the next three to six months or so what that Fed policy, what their reaction is going to be to inflation and some of those pricing pressures that we think are going to be with us for uh, quite some time. Hmm. Okay. Um, a lot to watch for and perhaps prepare for. So, uh, Paul, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your overview of how you and your team are seeing it. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. We'll speak to you soon.